into the hands of every individual is given a power for good or evil. To be different, you must think, feel, and act differently. Focus on your purpose, transcend boundaries, impact the world. Alter from death to life. Good morning, how's everybody doing? It's good to see you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, yeah? All right. Well, let me pray a blessing over us, and then we will dive in. And uh, thank you for everybody who served up to this point. What, isn't it just wonderful to watch people in their gift, just leading worship and just, wow, you know, and serving and, and, and praying over people? I think we all have amazing gifts to offer the body, and we, we certainly received gifts this morning, didn't we? We really did. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Um, we are always uh, curious and interested and uh, attempting to be available to understand you more and understand more um, how to function in you. And so we prepare our hearts this morning. We ask that you give us this day our daily bread. In your name we pray, amen. Um, when Nate was, was just talking about receiving uh, finances to win souls, the, the thought occurred to me that um, I think sometimes in our faith we kind of have like this our goal is to go out and win souls, and it is. Um, but I think we also forget sometimes that, that every day there's a battle for our soul. And I think we, we can forget how important it is um, to do the soul work on us to stay emotionally and mentally and physically and spiritually healthy. Um, and, and that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, I want to talk about really our emotional health. Um, looking through a lens of God's word and, and, and how to understand that. This, this week, my son um, loves basketball. And, you know, he thinks he's going to be an NBA player. And I'm like, dude, you're going to be my height. You, know, you don't have a chance. I mean, it's just the deal. Uh, but I'll let him figure that out. Uh, he came home, and, and he's got this, uh, this, this kid in his school who's of equal caliber. And he said, Dad, do you know what Brandon said to me today? And I said, what? He asked me, how much better, Cruz, do you think I am than you at basketball? So I said, you're not better than me at all, right, Dad? And I said, you know, Cruz, what would have happened if you would have said to him, you know what I think, Brandon? I think that you are amazing at basketball. That's what I think. And he gave me that look like that's the stupidest advice I've ever heard in my life trying to get me beat up in the yard. That's, that's terrible advice. But the thought occurred to me as I was sitting there, my son loves basketball. And he was invited by somebody else in that moment to distort and to pervert and to steal the joy he has for that game if he was willing to enter into comparison. I mean, in third grade, he was already invited in to destroy his joy by simply engaging in an age-old game of comparison. As I sat there as a dad, and you guys know this if you're parents, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things we all get to experience in life, but, but, but the love and affection you have for your kids is like so precious. And I just sat there and I go, buddy, 
I don't want you to lose your joy by comparison. And rather than comparing, what if you just, were, just promoted other people? What if every day you were just like, gosh, instead of me competing with you, I'm just going to tell you how amazing you are. I promise you this. You will have so much more joy. Now, he does not have a box for this conversation. But I did want to set the boundaries around our home that this game of comparison will absolutely destroy your soul. And I know that in Orange County, California, that comparison's not a big thing. Oh. Theodore Roosevelt said this quote that many of us have heard. Comparison is the thief of what? I want you to know something right now. There are so many things in your life right now that are amazing. Can I get an amen? So many. And every single day, the enemy of this world, the enemy of yourself, your insecurity, your ego, all these things rage war on joy. See, joy is peace. That's what joy is. It's peace. And what is peace? Peace is the, according to God's word, is the absence of conflict. God's word says that when we have peace in our lives, we are void of conflict. And here's the reality. Comparison absolutely fuels conflict. It absolutely fuels it. There was a study that came out not long ago that, that flights that have first classes on them, that have a first class cabin, have exponentially more unruly passengers. There's more, there's more passengers that have to be calmed down, escorted off on planes that have first classes versus planes. No, why do you think that is? Just think about it. You get all excited. You've been saving, you've been preparing, and you're going to take your family on a trip because you've got the resources to do it. You go out and you buy your new dress, your new hat, your new shoes, and you get up and you go to the airport and you're thinking, wonder what the poor people are doing today. And you get there and you walk on the plane and by the second you walk on there, somebody is already seated in twice as much space as you have enjoying a cocktail, staring at you going, wonder what the poor people are doing back there. <laughs> and they just give you that look, don't they? Ooh. I remember, they give you that compassionate look. I remember how much it sucked to be poor. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all that excitement, all that blessing, you go back there and you jam yourself like cattle back there in the back of that plane and you're angry. And then they do that beautiful thing, don't they, where they shut that curtain? <laughs> like, we don't even want you to look up here. I fly quite a bit, and so recently I was traveling with my family, and I got bumped to first class, and it was one of those incredibly tense moments, you know, where my two boys and my wife were in the back of the plane, and I had gotten bumped, and what's a guy to do? <laughs> what's a guy to do? And so, I, the, 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 I, you know, they came on, and I looked at them like, must suck to be poor. Get on back there. And, and I was actually, as the flight took off, I thought, you know what, I, I might go back there and and switch with whoever's sitting next to my wife. I'm sure somebody is. I'm sure if I went back to him on row 33E, and, you know, in the middle, he'd say, I'd love to sit in first. She'd say, I'd love to sit in first. So I walked back there. You guys, the temperature in the, in the airplane from first class to coach, you can't even get your mind around. So I started walking back there, and it started getting hot, and it started getting muggy, and it started smelling like poop because all the kids are all in the very back. 
Did you know this? Like when you get on a plane, all of the children on the plane are in the last 10 rows. It smelled like feces. I turned right back around. I sat right back up there. I brought my wife a drink. I said, there's no way I'm going back. Life's funny how you can start off so excited about something. You can start off so fulfilled about something. And then all these triggers and all these things happen and we enter into this incredibly dangerous thing called comparison. And we just seek, we seek fulfillment, right? We seek, all we really wanna be is satisfied. I just wanna be satisfied. Well, here's the definition of satisfaction. The fulfillment, everybody say fulfillment. This is an important word because fulfillment means to be com like completed, right? The fulfillment of one's wishes, expectations, and needs. That's what you will be satisfied when all of your wishes, all of your expectations, all of your needs are completely met. How many of you think that's going to happen anytime soon? I mean, think about some of the things you wish and expect and dream. And, and what would, how many of you know that if every wish and every, expect, every expectation you ever had got fulfilled, you would completely implode your life? How many of you know you got a couple things that God's like, come on, man. Yeah, no. No. Right? Is that, is that, I feel like I have, I, we just got a dog, right? And I, sometimes he does stuff. I'm like, no. I feel like God does that sometimes. I'm like, God, I was just, No. You know better than that. I just, but it kind of would be cool. Like, if I could have that thing, no, no, no. See, there's this human condition that says, when all of my dreams, when all of my expectations, when all of my desires are completely satisfied, fulfilled, then I'll be satisfied. And a lot of times we approach life and God and, and everything in this way. And then we say, God, we do this. So this is, we're kind of notorious. Just, God, as soon as, you know what, you know, right? As soon as this happens, I'm in. God, as soon as I have enough financial freedom, I'll be a giver. God, as soon as I have enough time and emotional energy, I'll serve. God, as soon as, as soon as, as soon as, and we all know this is just fantasy. It's just never going to happen. Do you know why? Because every time we grow and every time we get better, we raise the bar. As soon as we get wealthier, we don't hang out with our poor friends anymore. We start making new friends that have more money, and so we raise the bar. Whenever we get in shape and get pretty, all of our ugly friends, goodbye. I'm hanging out with prettier people now. We just keep raising the bar, and we're never satisfied. It's this vicious, vicious fantasy cycle. And you know what I've found in my own life? The more I get exposed to, the more I get exposed to, the more toxic and dangerous I become. I'm just saying me. I'm just saying the more I get exposed to, the more toxic and dangerous I become. And I've realized in my life, this is just me, that, that I have to do the work of reining myself in renewing my mind, working on truth, and working on studies like this that go, gosh, if I don't do this work, I will not make it. How many of you are on Instagram? Some of you? Um, I, I'm on Instagram, and, and, and there's a couple things that I do. I, 
I follow certain things that I like. You know, do you do this? So like, so like some men's fashion stuff and like, um, and, and Austin, I, I really, Austin Healy, I really want an, I follow Austin Healy. And all day long, they're serving up me these ads of these beautiful men dressed in amazing clothes, driving this amazing car. And I always think to myself, gosh, I, maybe I could get there. And then I push that little, that little search button. You ever seen that little search button on there where it, where it serves up three times six and you can scroll as long as you want and see beautiful men in cars and everything else. I mean, and I'm just like, oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I look at myself and I'm like, my God. <laughs> and I'm completely unsatisfied. Well, this is where the Israelites found themselves, just like that. <laughs> See, they, the temple, it was, it, it was, this was written in the book of Haggai. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Haggai. 520 BC, it's 520 BC, and, it, and it's 66 years after Solomon's temple has been destroyed. And the, the Israelites had been set free and they were beginning to rebuild their house and rebuild their lives. And, and they, were, they were saying, God, we're gonna get around to rebuilding your temple. We're just not ready yet. We gotta take care of a couple things. And there's a few reasons why we're not quite ready to rebuild your temple. Here's the first one. The first reason we're not ready, God, is because there's no way we can rebuild the temple at the same quality that Solomon had. I mean, Solomon had built this temple in all of its beauty and all of its wonder and all of its splendor. There's just no way we can do it. And so until we get enough resources to do it, we're just going to kind of work on our own stuff. And then it was like, you know, in our houses, they're not quite at the place we want yet, so we're just going to keep working on those. And so, God, there's these reasons that we can't work on your house right now because we're just not ready. They were engaged in games of comparison. They compared, they compared themselves to Solomon. They compared themselves to each other and they justified not yet. See, we love to do this thing in our brain where we give ourselves a free pass. We simply say this, God, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying not yet. And what that does in our hearts and our minds is it gives us freedom to not act. It's a lie. How many of you know there's nobody on this planet that lies to you better than you? Say amen. amen. Nobody. I mean, you are so gifted and talented at lying at yourself that we have to do this work. And until we have what's called self-actualization, until we actually understand the self and the motives and what moves us to action, we really never know how to get through things. There's a story a psychologist tells about growing up in a, in a poor family. And he said, I grew up and I went to public school and my family had no money and I was on free lunch. And so every day I'd go and the, the lunch lady knew that I was on free lunch. And so I would just simply walk up and she would say, thank you, have a good day. And one day we had a new lunch lady and I was walking in and she stopped me. And she said, hey, it's $1.25. So of course I had no money. I, I didn't even know what she was talking about and I was mortified. And I went home that day and I said, mom, I... The lunch lady stopped me and tried to charge me, and I was, and the mom said, you know, we're, we're poor. We don't have any money. We, we can't afford your lunch. We're on free lunch. He said, I'll never forget going back to school the next day feeling incredibly insecure, feeling like all of my friends that I once thought were equal were superior above me and better above me, and it literally wrecked the way that I viewed the world. I actually became aware of my self-reality. 
Self-actualization is really hard because it's dangerous and it's scary. And a lot of times we actually don't want to know what's going on inside. And this is the moment where God was with the Israelites where he's going, guys, we got to figure this out. Because unless we actually come to terms with the fact that you're saying no for all these reasons that have nothing to do with me, until we come to grips with that, we're not going to be able to move forward. If you have your Bibles, God's word, Haggai 1, so what God's word says. So they're in this tension. They're going, God, we're not going to rebuild. We're not ready. Just give us some time. And God's like, we're going to have a conversation. And it goes like this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, you always know if God's calling you these people, it's not good. Because, you know, normally it's like, my people, my son, my children. This is like that moment where, like, you know, your spouse calls you. goes, you'll never believe what your, your son did. Well, how did it become mine? It's ours, like, right? So God's like, I am not going to associate with you. Thus says the Lord, these people, you won't believe it. These people say the time is yet not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So then the, the Lord came by the, hand, the, by the hand of Haggai the prophet and said this. Is it time then, if it's not time to build mine, is it time then for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Let me tell you something beautiful that God does. God sends his Holy Spirit to ask simple, gentle, disruptive questions in your life. Not to hurt you, not to embarrass you, not to shame you. Simply to get you to have some self-actualization. God says, ask the people this. They've been saying, it's just not time. And God goes, okay, let me ask you a question. It's not time to build my house. I, I is it time then to build yours? Why is it time then to build yours if it's not time to build mine? Let's wrestle over that. Let's get an attention of that. And one of the most beautiful things that God does is invites us into soul tension. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's amazing. It allows us just to wrestle. God's word says this in Psalms 90, 12. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That word teach is in the, in the Hebrew is the word yada, which means this, to become acquainted with. Let me tell you what God's word says. God's word says that when we become acquainted with, when we have intimacy, when we have understanding of today, that our hearts begin to get wise. Now let me explain why this is so important because if you're anything like me, we have greater intimacy and understanding and affection and, in, and connection with the fantasy of the future than the reality of today. See, we love to do this. We love to go, dream big. You know, put something big on the wall. Go chase it. God's not done. And all this stuff that makes us go, oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire. You know what God's word says? God's word says, here's where it starts. You ready? Do you have an intimate, vulnerable, naked relationship with today? Because if you don't, you know what you won't have? A wise heart. Do you, can you imagine if every single day we woke up and we said, I'm going to become so intimately entwined. I'm going to become so familiar. I'm going to be so vulnerable and aware of today. 
That's it. That's it. That's all. Think about how much different things you might do. Like if, if all I was worried about was today, how would I treat my finances? How would I treat my relationships? How would I treat my physical body? If I just said today, I think I'd probably grab flowers for my wife. I'd probably come home a little early and play with my kids. I'd probably worry less about saving for all the fantasy stuff that I've dreamed up. How many of you are more familiar with what you're gonna buy than what's in your closet? How many of you are more familiar with the house you're gonna jump up to than the carpet on the floor where your knees should be giving God great, just blessing? I mean, if you're anything like me, I got plans. I mean, I got plans for what I'm gonna do with the money when I get blessed with the opportunities that are gonna come when, when what? I mean, you're promised today. And the problem is most people function with a foolish heart. Why? Because they're focused on the future and not today. See, God's word says this, help me to become acquainted intimately with today that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Many of the most foolish decisions I've ever made is because I was looking too far ahead and wasn't taking care of today. And this is what the Israelites were doing. They're going, God soon, God soon, God soon. And God's going, you know, today, today, today. Yeah, but God, I mean, compared to Solomon and compared to our friends, God soon, soon. And God's going, today, I don't compare. I don't do that. That's not how I do. Be very careful, Ephesians 5, 17, 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live. Can I just stop right there? I think we are terrible at that one sentence. Just that one sentence. Be very careful how you live. I don't think we even think about how we live. I think somewhere this is a subconscious thing because we're always so focused on where we're going that we're not really thinking about where we're living. Listen to what this says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days of evil, that word evil is just anti-kingdom, things not of this world. It's not sorcery and perversion. It's just anything that's not of God. He says, because the days that are not of God, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And this is this huge sentence where you're like, God, if I knew what your will was, maybe I wouldn't do all those foolish things. Do you ever feel like this is like a, a chess game with God? You know, where you're like, God, what's your will for me? What's your will for me? And he's like, keep praying, keep praying. I just, I'm going to bury it so deep and see if you can just find it. And I'm just going to mess with you. <laughs> I just don't think that's, I don't think that's theologically correct. I don't think that God is like bored up in heaven, like hiding the mouse from the cheese, the, the, the cheese from the mouse and making us go around and just being, just giggle, watching us bump all over the place. I just don't think that's God. But this is what I do think. If you go on in the word, it says this, Haggai 1, 5, it says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, simply this, consider your ways. Everybody say, consider, consider. my ways. I think this is the will of God. I think God's will can be summed up as simple as this. I think what God really, really wants us to do is slow down and just think. I think what God really wants us to do is just slow down, stop playing God, and just go, God, what are you up to? 
You ever notice it like whenever somebody goes to see a therapist, like that therapist was so smart, they asked me all these questions and your spouse is like, I've been asking you those questions for years. Yeah, but they got a PhD. When they ask, all of a sudden I had the answer. No, I think all of a sudden you actually stopped and you slowed down and you used the heart and the brain that God gave you and you said, you know what? I'm acting like an idiot. I need to stop doing that. I actually think God made us brilliant. This is what I always, this is what I always say. I think we're way smarter and way dumber than we give ourselves credit for. Anybody? I think we're both. I think we're smarter. And I'll tell you what, it, it always blows my mind how foolish we can be as people. I mean, so you're just like, that's amazing that you just did that. I did not think a human adult could actually make that bad of a decision. That's incredible. And then you look and you go, wow, what a smart, but what's the difference? I think the difference between um, our foolish and our wise decisions is when we slow down and consider. And you know what I love is this says, God's like, I'll, I'll just, I'll go with this. Just consider your ways. God's not even like, consider my ways and try to be like me. God's like, I'll, I'll settle for, just consider what you're doing. It's like a parent being like, look, I'm not even trying to get you to act like me. I just want you to stop acting like you. I'll, I'll start there. Like this is what God's saying, just consider your ways. And when you do, crazy epiphanies are gonna happen. Watch, verse six. Just, just think about what's going on. You've planted much, harvested little. You eat, you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You put on clothes, you never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How's it working out for you? I mean, I just want you to stop and consider. That's all. Why does this happen? Why is it that we're seeming to always not have enough? Here's what God's word says in Galatians 6, 8 through 9. Whoever sows to please their what? All right, we got, so I, when I say like the what, it's like I'm hoping we all say it together. Uh, partly, it's lonely up here and it's nice when we're connected. Partly because when you say things out loud, it sticks with you. Okay, so just, just try, let's try this again. Whoever sows to please their what? Okay, if these are flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. God says this, whenever you take all of your opportunity, all your wealth and everything, and you do it so that you will be satisfied, ultimately, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but ultimately the only thing that's going to happen is it's going to end in destruction. That's what's going to happen. Whoever sows to please the Spirit... And I love this because it talks about their flesh versus the spirit. Do you see how it doesn't say their, your spirit is the spirit. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary of doing good for in the what? And ever, whenever God finally gets around to it, we got to just own it, right? We can't sit here and act like if I click my heels together that all of a sudden God's going to just make everything happen. Like we always say, God's more interested in our character, right? That's his big deal. That's his big deal. Let me give you a couple thoughts. 
here the Israelites are, and they're going, God, not yet. They, they're comparing, they're playing their game, and God's like, dude, this is going nowhere fast. Just consider your way. I just want you to start there. Let's unpack this just a little bit in the last few minutes we have. Let me give some thoughts on, on this thought that they had to consider when God said, just consider all this. Here's the first one. You have sown much, but you've harvested little. You've sown much, but you've harvested little. Here's what I want you to think about. Hard work doesn't equate to God's work. It just doesn't. And I'm not, there's, listen, I love hard work. I'm up early every day. I work my tail off. But I, I'll look at my body of work and go, not all of that was, was God's work. And when I say God's work, I'm not saying like missionary, pastor. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the will of God. There's plenty of things I do every day and put my hand to that I, if I actually considered, I'd be like, man, I, that probably wasn't God's prompting. That was probably some selfish ambition. That was probably some, 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 where I'm trying to get to. That probably wasn't God's plan. And what the people were doing was they're sowing and they're sowing and they're sowing and they're working hard and they're working hard, but they're not experiencing that God blessing because God says, hard work does not equal my work. I was uh, in New York a couple weeks ago and I was invited to have breakfast with the head of communications for HSBC, a global bank, and we're sitting in Columbus Circle, and, and it's just beautiful. We're like at this amazing restaurant. I'm watching all the cars go around, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm a huge deal. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> oh, big deal. I'm sitting here with the head of communications. We're going to talk about work, and so she sits down, and I'm sitting there in this swanky place over Columbus Circle, and we're talking, and I'm like, so what's next for you? And she's like, I just get out of get get this job. I hate it. And I was like, really? I'd like you to stay. I'm hoping we can work together. <laughs> promise you not two weeks later, I'm sitting with the head of diversity and inclusion for Qualcomm, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal. I'm sitting with this person, right? And talk about work. I said, so what's next for you? And she's like, I'm just trying to get out of this job. Like, it'd be awesome if you stayed. It's kind of why I bought coffee. So, you know, it's, it's called business development. You need to stay in your job so I can work with you. And I remember kind of reflecting on those two things and just being like, God, I am so grateful that I am doing the work you've assigned me to. I'm so glad that I'm not waking up every day going, I'm just trying to find something different. Because the work of my hands is the work you've assigned me to. And God's looking at the, the Israelites going, guys, I got to tell you something. The work of your hands is not what I've assigned you to. I haven't assigned you to do more harvest. I've assigned you to pick up a hammer and build my house. And until you do, you will not reap the harvest. The second thing, pleasure does not equal purpose. Pleasure does not equal purpose. There's this complete confusion that we have, which is if I'm fully uh, pleased, then I will, I will get involved in purpose. As soon as my pleasures are met, I'll live on purpose. But here's the difference between pleasure and purpose. Pleasure is when we take. Purpose is when we give. That's the difference. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with taking. I like to take. I like to take money. I like to take adventures. I like to take food and wine. I like to take it. But, but taking and pleasure is not giving in purpose. And the problem is so many of us fill our entire lives up with taking and we wonder why we're void of purpose. talked in the first service about how many of us have that big list 
of the next thing we're going to buy, the next thing we're going to have. And we know what these things are, right? These are Band-Aids. Does everybody know that? Like when you buy something new and all of a sudden you look more attractive, you don't. You know that, right? That's just you think you do and the Band-Aid's on. And when you buy that bigger house and all of a sudden you're more, you have more value, you don't have more value. These are band-aids for insecurities and hurts in our lives. There's nothing wrong with clothes. There's nothing wrong with fine things. Just don't trip on what it is. I put clothes on all the time. I'm like, man, I look good. You look no better. You just put a band-aid on. You just took. We talked about in first service. I wonder how many of us have have, have looked at that list of all the things that we want and instead of taking our money, buying that and taking that thing, what if instead we gave it and we gifted it to somebody else? When was the last time you took your top list of things you wanted and instead of buying it, you gifted it to somebody else? My guess is never. Now, I'm not saying you don't give to other people, but when did you take what you wanted and gave it to somebody else? See, that's the difference between pleasure and purpose. And here's the problem. Pleasure, at the end of it, will be void of purpose. But purpose, when you give it, guess what you get at the end? Pleasure. Like when all of a sudden you take that thing that you saved for and you want so bad, and you go, you know what, I'm going to gift this to somebody else. And you hand it to them, and you watch the joy when they wear the shoes that you saved for. And all of a sudden you go, why do I actually feel more emotionally healthy? Versus, notice anything different? <laughs> Nothing? And God is saying to the Israelites, guys, I promise you this. He says this, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. Let me tell you why. Because you can never take enough to be satisfied. You can only give enough to experience satisfaction. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. Comfort cannot cre be created by man. This is this whole point about the, the more we get, I mean, don't, haven't you always felt that way? As soon as I get to this level, I know that I'm going to feel better about myself. I'm going to be warmer. As soon as I can clothe myself in this relationship, as soon as I can clothe myself in this tax bracket, as soon as I can clothe myself with this job opportunity, as soon as I can clothe myself with this physical thing, I know I will feel more emotionally covered. And God says to them, you clothe yourself, but you're never warm. Comfort cannot be created by man. The fourth thing he says this, and, he, and you earn wages, and you just put them into your bag with holes. How many of you have ever said, as soon as I get this extra money, then we're going to be set? And what are you not Set. How many people here in this room can spend some money? Anybody here got that, that gift, that talent? The human heart and desire and need will never be satisfied. Did you know that? There's nothing on this planet that will ever satisfy you. There'll be Band-Aids, there'll be reliefs and, and, and cooling pads, and those, but it'll never really relieve you. And so God's coming to the people going, here's what I really want for you. God wants the same thing for me that I wanted for my son in such a micro little analogy. When I watched my son 
he loves basketball. It's fun. It's like this precious thing where he's like, Dad, I love to play with you and share with you. And all of a sudden, he came in and he said, the beauty and the wonder of this thing was being destroyed by comparison. And God goes, I, we will never experience the beauty of life, the beauty of intimacy, the beauty of, uh, of togetherness. If you, if, you, if, if you bifurcate yourself from me and try to satisfy yourself in this world, It never will. It never will. And my hope for my son, and I'm going to be honest with you, my hope for me, I, I, gotta, I just got to keep telling you this, I don't think you can do this work enough. I don't think about, I don't compare myself that often to other people. I would say no more than 20 or 30 times a day. I mean, it's not that often. Three or four times an hour, you know, compare myself. But, you know, I, I bet I'm not the only one that does it that much. And we laugh like, oh, it's not that much. I bet it's more. We just don't live in self-actualization, so we don't even realize how toxic of a life we're living. That's why when that scripture says, give pay careful attention to how you live, pay attention to how you live. Today is enough. Be intimately acquainted with today. It's the same thing that God wants for you and I. There will always be people that have more. Agreed? There will always be people that have less. There will always be somebody prettier than you. There will always be somebody not as pretty as you. There will always be something on either side. But, but how healthy will you be? That's the only thing that matters. And what happens is when we do, you know what the crazy thing that happens is? When we consider our ways, we start to take responsibility. We get really excited about purpose. We get really excited about giving. So, so here's the challenge as we just finish this final little blurb of worship. Here's the challenge. Why don't you take one thing that you want to take, something you really like, something that's going to hurt. And why don't you save some money? Why don't you gift it? It doesn't have to be crazy amounts of money. I mean, it could be, but whatever it is, just something that you're like, oh, I got my eye on that. What if you gifted it and just said, God, may this be a blessing for me considering my ways. May it be something that for the rest of my life, I remember this is how I'm going to live with self-actualization and consciously aware and making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm present every day. It's a thought. Why don't you stand as we just worship out here a little bit?
that it's absolutely insane that that comes out of your voice. That, is that insane? I'm like, it's like evidence of a living God right there. Um, hey, you know, you know what I love about this song? The, the theology that we often overlook. You're right, we are set free. Um, sin has no power over the grave. All these beautiful theological words we use, but it all hinges on us picking up our cross, denying ourselves and following Jesus. So I just wanna say something. I think in, in, in the faith world, we get so hyped up about all the work God's gonna do when the whole theology is that you deny yourself and follow him, the theology isn't that he comes in and just makes everything better like spoiled little children we are. He says, no, I'm just saying, let's get the theology right because we're like, oh, you've defeated the grave because you denied yourself because you became a giver, not a taker. That's why it works. So, you know, I, I, I'm never like a Tony Robbins guy. You always leave me like, that guy's kind of a jerk, but it might be right. I don't know. Hey, let me pray a blessing. God, we do believe in the, in the true theology of your word. Uh, we don't believe that you are a, um, we don't believe that you're a genie father, that we just rub your lamp and you just come make everything go away. We believe that you're a relational father that says, hey, I make you a deal. The more you d d deny yourself, the more you die to yourself, your egos, the more you get healing in the areas you're hurting and follow me the more the grave will not have a victory over you. But this is a two-way relationship. Lord, may we call that truth. May we have good theology so that we walk as whole people. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, love you guys. See you later.